Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. You know, I love talent and passion together, and I happen to have it in my studio right now. I'm very excited to welcome <laughs> Philip Shorey back into the uh, show. He's a fourth-generation puppeteer, and he's the founder of the Suitcase Sideshow. It's a world-traveling street theater, and he uh, was raised on and off the road with a puppet show in the 80s and has been using his grandparents' marionettes from the 1960s to point people to Jesus. He's written a new book called Travelogues of a, of a Family Sideshow. Philip Shore is my guest. Philip, great to see you. Hey, Bill. It's so good to be here. Thank you. Now, this is not your first book. Um, your first book or your last book was Kill Your Art, Yep, which was a street performer's guide to being a messenger of Jesus Christ. Does this book relate to that one? Uh, completely. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of A and B, like they're right next to each other. You have... Kill Your Art came first. It was uh, a much easier book to write. Mm-hmm. It was a how-to guide on for any artist to surrender their art to the creator, to collaborate with the creator of the universe. Um, it used street performance, which is one of my main mediums, uh, puppetry and music, as the leading example on how to surrender your art and, and uh, give it back to the Lord. But um, Travelogues of a Family Sideshow, this book is mm-hmm. just stories. It mm-hmm. is the back. The backlog it is what started the whole kill your art concept and surrendering your your art to the creator, and it deals with a hundred years of family history, um, d- using different types of art, magic, puppetry, music, theater, uh, just to point people to Jesus and and what that looks like throughout the, the last one hundred years. Mm-hmm. When I start listing your talents, I, I don't include all of them because I want to leave time to let you talk. Um, but I'll go back and also let everyone know you're also um, a composer and a conductor, and you've been involved with music your whole life. Mm-hmm. And when you were traveling with your family growing up, you'd have to find a place to go practice piano, or you would draw keyboards um, on an imaginary <laughs> desk and start practicing, huh? Yeah, actually, um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, huh. I we'll be traveling around at you know five shows at every spot, every church. Uh, in the 1980s, and I'd, you know, pull up, find the piano in the sanctuary and do my piano practice. My mom, uh, you know, worked with my grandmother to to get us doing piano, and she would make me practice like 20 times perfect in a row before I could have dinner, uh, which I got I had to get rescued from a couple <laughs> times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I found a circus song that I just loved, and then we worked it into the show uh, playing the piano and yeah, I, I mean, music has been in my, my family for a long, long time. And, and I'm really thankful that's a part of what I do today. In addition to the book, uh, travelogues of a family sideshow, Philip Shorey is my guest. Um, I, I saw an online uh, YouTube video promoting this book and it started with a, a pretty riveting picture of a family uh, looking as if they were just getting ready to board the Titanic. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, well, the the Titanic is where the story begins. It's the first historic landmark 
uh, and sort of the the miracle that brings about this whole epic story. Uh, my great great grandmother came over from Denmark uh, with five kids to meet her husband and her oldest son in Canada, and they were about to board the Titanic. They had their their tickets. They thought they could get to North America quicker if they got on this ship. Uh, of course, they weren't rich, so they were you know very low on the totem pole in terms of like what ticket they had. Um, but the story is is that she saw a sign that said, "Even God can't sink this ship." Uh, it's been debated whether that sign existed or not, but uh, according to the the story that's been passed down through the generations, that's the reason why they decided not to board the Titanic. Hmm. And they turned around from the gangplank and went back to the ticket office and exchanged their tickets for the next White Star Line ship to uh, Quebec City. So that's the miracle. Of course, we know like if they would have gotten on that ship, they would. You know, I wouldn't be here today. There'd be no Philip today. Yeah, mm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's where the story starts, and from there, you you go on through history, and and you just see more miracles and and more. More things that God does. Mm-hmm. When you uh, researched, did research on this book um, on the changes of evangelism over the last hundred years, what has art and how has art played a role in all this? Yeah, that's an amazing question. So, uh, you know, there's five generations, um, including my kids, but I'm the fourth generation. And so it starts in the 1900s, the 1910s, with the Salvation Army. And then it goes and moves into marionettes, as marionettes was a uh, uh, a very popular form of entertainment, oftentimes used to sell trucks, and it was very popular in the in the 40s. Uh, marionettes were were very, you know, you could use it anywhere, and people loved it. Um, and you went into the 80s, and it was Jim Henson, the Jim Henson era, uh, and then now. Now, what changed? That that's the creative side. What what changed in the church was that you first you started the Salvation Army and it was all about going out into the park. You know, it was the band, it was the marching band that my great grandfather saw and he saw the music, was compelled. He had already received a, a service from the Salvation Army, a humanitarian service to their family because they had nothing coming over as immigrants, uh, and it was all like out in the park street corners reaching you know people who are uh, you know struggling with alcohol and homeless and all that kind of stuff and then what happened in the the 60s and the 80s everything went into the church and it was all about invite your friends to the church you know we're having these week-long crusades which language was another thing that's changed we can't call them crusades anymore for just the stigma that that goes with that but everything went into the church and what i think you saw was that the culture back in the early part of the century was nominal Christian. You could invite people to to tent meetings. You could invite people to church. Uh, they would they would go. They would feel like maybe they should. And and also entertainment was kind of scarce. Uh, you, you, people would my 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 grandfather would go out with a puppet show and a marionette show to to different towns, and um, there wasn't much to do. So you can invite them into the church or for a magic show or something, and they'd come. There wasn't much else going on. And now you have two things. You have um, lots of entertainment, and you have people who just don't want to go to church. It's not relevant. It doesn't make sense. It's not where they're at. And so how can you use the church as an evangelistic tool anymore? So 
we have to go to them. You know, you, we have to bring entertainment to people. We have to bring the message to people. We have to go in, back to where, like, the Salvation Army was, like, in the, 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 the city square uh, and be relevant and be relevant to where people are at and what they're thinking and what they're doing. Uh, so I think I, that that's something that I've noticed, like, in this story. It started outside the church. It went into the church using the church as, like, the building as an, an evangelistic tool and then now today, what we've seen works best is going back out of the church to where people are at. Fascinating, uh, Philip, and I would agree that we need to do all things uh, that we can to try to uh, reach the lost for Christ. And when I've uh, been in Europe, many times I've seen uh, marionette workers in the streets, and they draw the biggest crowds. Yeah. They, they, yep. they, they, it's the most fascinating it's it's nostalgic, you know. It's, it is. Yeah, it, it's part of their history. It dates back to the, the medieval times. Uh, it's like Santa Claus for us, you know. Like it's just this. It, I just I just came from France and uh, did it my show in Marseille, and people came up to me and said, "Thank you for making me feel like a child again." Mm. Like we drew these large crowds with this little pop up marionette theater in France because it's just part of their culture mm-hmm. and, and they love it. And and then I would show them a Jesus that wasn't uh, religious in a sense, you know, a, a Jesus that was relatable and that they could understand. Uh, and people loved it. I mean, they, they saw me as like one of them respecting and loving their culture in with the people. And it wasn't like a disconnect, you know, between like the traditional church and which is not relevant in France and normal common people it was like right there in the city streets and and if i think you've start seen anything you know that like any revolution or any like big movement starts in the streets so i think that's where we need to bring jesus <laughs> yeah so in other words philip meeting people where they're at huh what a novel idea yeah <laughs> that's kill your art right and so that's right. what we talk about right and i love the book kill your art it's a great book and if you are um, if you know someone who is a performer this is a great book to get, Kill Your Art. And also, if you have an interest in these kinds of practices like marionettes and magic and music, I'm dying to hear some of the stories from your book. Where, where do we start? So, I mean, you have first generation. It's uh, it's the stories of my grandpa in at the Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. You have the second generation where it's stories from my grandmother and traveling with the marionettes in, in the 1960s. And then you have stories from the 80s with my parents and then you have my stories and my story basically is that I, I'm, I felt like a black sheep. I was into rock and roll and punk rock and, you know, just those kind of musical uh, avenues. And for people who were doing the art, but all very much in the church in that bubble, um, they didn't, they were nervous for me and they didn't quite get what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's what, but, but being involved in that, outside of the church scene uh, exposed me to new ideas and new creative means and eventually brought marionettes and music back to me. And I had to, I had to face this question of, of like, do I, do I leave the scene or am I going to be a light in this place and try to show God's love to people uh, here in this scene? So, uh, about 15, 15 years ago or so, I did. I was in school to be a composer, and I uh, decided to write music for this puppet show, and I brought it into a local here, Minneapolis, 
uh, underground theater. And I won't say the name because a lot of people know about it. But I did my show as the composer and I brought the story of Saul's conversion. It was this punk rock theater. And when I did it, I told them, this is a story about Jesus. Is that okay if I do this show? I told the, the leadership. A riot broke out and people were throwing beer beer bottles at me and people were up in arms and screaming and, and very upset. Like, how dare you bring Jesus into this place? Who gave you permission to do that? And the leadership stood up and said, we did. He's one of us. If you have a problem, you can take it up with, with us. And so I... I was there and, I, and we talked and I got to ex- explain the gospel to a lot of people and they realized, why is it that Jesus is so controversial, whereas this guy could have been bringing up any other idea or philosophy and nobody would have cared. And I realized this puppet show has got a bit of a punch. And from that point, I went on to Brazil and did it for for uh, about 60 prostitutes in a, in a brothel. We performed four times. Yeah, that's an amazing story, which yeah. is in the book. And I want to take a short break, Philip. When we come back, I'd, I hope you tell that story because it, it's powerful and fascinating. Philip Shorey is my guest. His book is called Travelogues of a Family Sideshow. We'll take a short break and be right back. Philip Shorey has written a new book called Travelogues of a Family Sideshow. And when you were in Brazil, this is the great, the great thing about the ministry you have, Philip, is you can take it anywhere. Mm-hmm. It goes with you. You know, you don't need a space. You need people. Yeah. 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 Talk about the experience you had in a brothel in Brazil. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a that's a good one. <laughs> um, as you said, the, the suitcase opens up into a theater where we ran on battery powered and you know led lighting and very compact so we can bring the story in this theater anywhere and we like to go into places where you don't normally see theater or shows or art and it's and maybe it's dark or it's depressing or it's people who are just down and out and so working with the local church in sao paulo brazil they discovered my show and thought, hey, how cool would it be to try to bring it into this brothel that we had, they had, they had been building relationships with the pimps and the girls, the ladies that were there. And uh, it was, it was a risk, you know, like any ministry typically builds relationships, right? And they want to hold on to those relationships because that like sustains their ministry in a way. Those are the gatekeepers that bring, (laughs) bring in their, you know, the stuff into what they're doing anyway. So they put it on the line, you know, and my, it was my experience in the theater in Minneapolis where I did the exact same thing. I had those relationships. I put them on the line. I, I gave my relationships back to God in a sense, like he gave those friendships to me. I want to glorify him and bring them back, give them back to him. And, uh, they brought us into the brothel and we didn't know if we do one show or no shows, uh, but we did four, and the first one was like for five five ladies, roughly, 
and they liked the show. It didn't seem like too much happened, but they liked the show. And and then a pimp upstairs said, "Hey, we've heard you've done a marionette show. Can you bring it up for my ladies too?" And we brought it upstairs. And and uh, you know, I think I think God just gave me like His eyes, you know, to be picking up this little suitcase theater trucking it up this narrow stairwell and on the way up there was just a row of of girls you know just at first they were kind of pulling at us as if we were going to do business with them or mm-hmm. something and then they realized we weren't there for that but the the whole time i just felt god's like broken heart for the ladies there and just for the place and and it was just so sad and and it, so it wasn't like you might expect going into a brothel it was just it was it was sad, uh, and I just we, we did our next show and our next show, and we just started praying. The pimp, one of the pimps said, "Would you pray that all these ladies get out of here after the show?" Another pimp said to the men, "Before you do any business here, you need to uh, watch the show uh, first. <laughs> and and this- you know these are guys that came into a brothel expecting you know to get with a girl, get with a, a prostitute. And now they have to watch a show about Jesus, a marionette show about Jesus, uh, by ordered of the by ordered of the pimp, right? Um, and you know, then then the final show we did was for uh, a bunch like like twenty prostitutes. It was on the top floor. The the pimp was a Macumba witch doctor. The the church ladies had never been able to get into that floor. It was a lot of tension between her and these these people that would come in from the church of course but she was okay with the puppet show she wanted her ladies to also see the puppet show and i remember setting up in this this long hall with like these dark offerings hung on the walls the spirits proclaiming jesus and doing the story of story of saul's conversion having prostitutes all stand with me and pray together after the show and them telling me, hey, can you sneak me in the trunk? You know, I mean, I think, I don't know exactly what si- the situation was, if they were like stuck there or not. I don't think it was quite like that. Some of them saw it as like a job. But but still, um, we enhanced the work that the church was doing. Mm-hmm. We made it better. And they built those relationships, those contacts, and they helped people. And I got to see a prostitute get out of that situation while I was in Sao Paulo as well. Uh, so it's just a powerful story. And I came back from, from Brazil that day, uh, that, that, that month or whatever. I was to be a composer. I wanted to be a film composer, and that was spring break. And I came back and I realized I can't just climb the ladder and try to make it as a Hollywood film composer. Like, I want to change the world. And I don't think trying to just make it as a composer is really going to help. The world doesn't need more blockbuster films. The world needs Jesus. Yeah. And and if I can, if I need to kill my art, surrender in the street, do shows in a brothel or a homeless camp or or some kind of you know down and out place, a place for for women who are struggling, uh, a safe house uh, or or a festival or, or or a squat, then that's where I'll go. And it's not about you know fame being famous or, or whatever it's it's about redefining success and uh being successful with an eternal perspective not just like a momentary spotlight you know so that that was the brothel it changed my life and it changed the the course of my creative endeavors mm-hmm. this is such a powerful story philip um and it's all in the book travelogues of a family sideshow my guest is philip shorey 
I'd love for if you could tease out another uh, story from the book because I know listeners are loving this, as are we. Yeah. Um, another story in the book. Uh, well, we've been a, we, we've not just been to um, South America and Brazil. We most of our work has been in Europe and specifically Eastern Europe. Uh, we have spent a lot of time in uh, Poland and Romania, visiting uh, Roma camps and orphanages, uh, festivals. And we really honed it because, again, Eastern Europe has this marionette tradition and the street performance tradition. It's just built into the way the cities are even established with large uh, city plazas, you know. Um, so we were at a festival called Woodstock, Poland. It's not the actual Woodstock Festival, but they call it that. And they call it something else now, but they used to call it Woodstock, Poland. And it draws about a half million people, including all the bikers, uh, just just hundreds of bikers. Kind of, It's kind of like a Sturgis kind of situation. And there's a Christian uh, motorcycle club that does a service. And they have a tent with a coffee shop. They do bike washing. They watch over their bikes as a service so people can enjoy this big festival. And they invited us to be their guests and to perform at their tent. And during the performances, they'd have other bands. And this one band right before us was on their seventh encore. It's like the biker's favorite band. <laughs> and now they had to cut them short. They're like, sorry, it's time for a puppet show. It's not, this guy, your, your turn is over. And everybody got so upset. You imagine, you know, a couple hundred bikers in this big tent booing the the concept that their favorite band has to stop and re- being replaced with a puppet show. Uh, it's not a good situation. My wife, my, my wife was with me, and it was the scariest thing that she'd ever done up to that point. Um, and we set up our stage, and at first I thought I would... I would lull the 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 sleep the the lion with uh, some accordion music, and that just failed. And and then I just said, okay, you guys, you want a hardcore puppet show? We'll do it. And I just we just started the puppet show, and that that show was it's called Blessed Are the Poor, and it was modern stories of Jesus with a modern day drug addict, a modern day prostitute, a modern day businessman, just like from the Bible. Uh, but just very modern context. And in Poland, religion and Jesus is very traditional. It's very disconnected from re- from normal people and reality. Um, and it start the show starts out with the bad guy, the legalistic religious villain, uh, praying, thank you that I'm not like one of them. And it's I did it so creepy. Like, I mean, marionettes can be creepy anyway. Hmm. But I, I just went with it. Like, I didn't hold back. And it's just this very creepy, dark prayer that this religious guy is praying. I mean, you really feel his heart. And he, he, and the whole biker crowd just like went dead silence. Nobody moved. For a 25-minute show, they watched a 25-minute show open about Jesus and you could hear a pin drop. And they all heard about God. And the, the, the bikers that we partnered with said, we have never seen this happen before. Wow. Philip Shorey's been my guest. Travelogues of a Family Sideshow. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back.
So glad to be have a chance to talk to Philip Shorey today. He's written a book called Travelogues of a Family Sideshow, and the stories inside this book are riveting as we uh, look at five generations of uh, family performers. And he is uh, fourth generation? Mm-hmm. Your kids are the fifth, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in your book, Travelogues of a Family Sideshow, the stories, like I did say, are amazing, and I would love to uh, hear one more. Okay. Well, uh we were in Romania, and I always had a heart to go to Romania because of just the the legends and the folklore that comes out of Romania and and, and the the music and uh, the Roma and just all of it. And I wanted to get in there, but I didn't quite know how. And I'd got I'd get as far as Hungary, and they some people would offer, "Hey, we'll translate your show into Romanian. Uh, you don't have any contacts yet, but let's just at least get it done." And so that if God opens that door, you're ready to go. And we we came in. We were going to do a a partnership with a soccer team going into some some Roma camps. Now, when I say Roma, people might not realize what I'm saying, but I'm I'm referring to the gypsies. Uh, Gypsy is actually a derogatory term um, that, that, that marks a type of people or a lifestyle. But their actual nationality, um, a nation without a home, is Roma. Uh, and so we would go we were going to partner with these, this ministry to do a soccer camp and build some, some outhouses, uh, for some Roman people. And that, that fell apart. Um, but there was another group that was reaching out and serving people from the 1980s who had been, um, left at the hospitals. If many people don't know this, but in the 1980s, Ceausescu, the dictator of Romania, uh, he mandated women to constantly give birth so that he could build his army and his workforce, and it f- completely failed. Uh, they didn't have the economic situation to sustain such a large burst of population, and children were left at hospitals tragically uh, raised by the state and while also rejecting Western um, philosophical child development um, philosophies. They were just left in cribs, fed terrible food, never held and as a result, grew up developmentally disabled and are still, this is in the 80s, so they're my age, uh, they're still wards of the state. They can't function as normal human beings, and they would have been normal human beings. Um, so there's this, this, these kind of institutions are all over Romania and Ukraine and former Romania, Hungary, some parts, and they are just the, the remembrance of a failed political system. Uh, and, and a generation that was failed by the, the government. And so there are m- many ministries that work in, with that, these children, and we got to partner with one of them a number of times and go in and bring our show, probably the only theater, the only puppetry that they had ever seen and had ever gone in there, uh, and bring our show to do, to perform for them. And, and when I, and when we bring our show, that sounds kind of noble in itself. Like, Oh, you know, you're, you're doing a good service. You're bringing art to people who have none, but it's more than that. I want it to be more than that. And it is more than that because it's all about the message. It's all about not just getting a moment of escape or a moment of sanctuary, but hope and healing, uh, and giving people a chance to, to hear the truth about who they really are, not how the world has told them what they are. Uh, especially in this situation, and you walk in there, you share the gospel that your life matters, that you're not a mistake, that you know God loves you. You look around and you're like, 
God, give me faith to believe what I'm saying, you know, because it's true. But, you know, in a place that's so nice, like Minneapolis, uh, it's more easily to believe, you know. But in a place like that, it's you got to have faith to believe that. And they believe it. They hold on to it. They have nothing else and they need it. And uh, we got to give them a voice. Like, so at one point, the leadership was actually still beating these adults into mm. submission. And at the end of the show, they came up to us, showed us their scars and the blood caked on their face and said they did it and, and, and you know, wanted us to be an advocate for them. But really, I gave them space to be an advocate for themselves and to have a voice when they would never have a voice. Because uh, one, one guy said after the show, he's like, I believe what, what, what happened there with Saul needs to happen here because the leaders, they beat us and they don't know God. <laughs> and like, then you saw the leaders like leave, you know, <laughs> and, and they rush us, you know, and they're showing us this, all this stuff and telling us their stories. Um, what I try to outline in the book, and it's really heavy and it's really hard to explain in just a couple minutes, uh, is, is that, that I'm no hero and I'm, I'm not the Messiah and I can't take on their pain. I can't fully even understand it. Uh, and I would just have to constantly point them to Jesus that, you know what? I can't understand what these kids have gone through. I just, I've never experienced anything like it, but Jesus has, Jesus died on the cross. He was beaten even when he didn't deserve it. And he knows exactly what they're going through. And he's there with them in that dark and terrible place. And from that show, I would see kids just, one kid started a Bible study. Uh, another kid started, he, he put up the picture of us on his wall uh, to pray for us. Um, other, others just put a bracelet around me and said, don't, don't ever forget us. Come back. Um, and a gleam, a gleam of hope that I saw was that in another show in a neighboring uh, village, I actually saw one of the leaders from that institution, one of the workers, stand to receive Christ in the street after one of my shows. I'm like, oh, I think I recognize that person. You know, She's one of the workers at the institution we performed at a few days ago. And you know, I like to give people a chance after our puppet shows to, to make it real. And not just say, hmm, that's a nice idea, or okay, yeah, I, I kind of like that. But to actually like be confronted with the reality, like, do you want this or not? Yes or no? Like, you can make a decision right now and take that first step and pray with me and, and make this real. And I saw her do that. She stood with me in the street with a number of other people, and we prayed together. And I thought, well, that's, that's part of it, you know? Like, that's, that's something, God's working in the hearts of somebody. And and to tie that over into Poland, I was in a juvenile detention center and I did a show and, and the leadership, about three or four people uh, received Christ. And I didn't know really what the extent of it was, but when we were there, you know, a couple of the inmates came, you know, saw the show, but it was mostly the leadership was watching our show. And they asked me to return and about three years later, I came back and the whole jail, the, this juvenile jail was completely changed. It was it was not this dark, communist-feeling, dingy place, holding center for, for youth. 
there was curtains in the jail windows. Mm. There, there was flowers on the dining table with a tablecloth. Uh, there, there was a sense of there was the the walls had been painted vibrant colors. So there was the sense that like there's love here. Someone people the people who work here they care. It was completely transformed. And I asked them why why is this place different than the last time I was here? And they said it's because a few of us we got the heart of God put into us, and we we started looking at this place as more of a min, a mission than just a job. And and it was your show that helped spark that heart for the the people the kids here. So I mean when you see the gospel actually like play out and the arts being a vehicle for the gospel, then the gospel actually play out in real ways and change institutions and change uh statistics and start changing people's lives. Um that's what it's all about. That's why we do it. And that's what I hope to inspire more artists and more people to use their gifts and just be inspired to start uh, new family legacies, new family uh, blessings, generational blessings of people who who take whatever they have and give it back to the creator and knowing that the creator can do way more with it than you can. Mm-hmm. You know, Philip, when you think of some of the uh, gigs you've done, I, can, I call them gigs, can I? <laughs> sure. I mean, you're p- putting on shows, right? Yeah. And sometimes the, the crowd size will be very small mm-hmm. uh, because that's the nature of that kind of, we don't know who's going to show up, right? Yeah. And But some of the smaller audiences, I, I think, is sometimes the most profound experiences. Yeah. I did a, an event, um, not to talk about me, but in an Indiana prison, and it was 101 degrees that day. And they set up a sound system because they thought there might be 70 inmates that show up, but nine showed up. Mm. And they crowded into this little tiny corner where there was shade. And, you know, I did the event and asked who wanted to pray to receive Christ, and two out of nine said yes. And I'll never forget that night as long as I live. Yeah. Well, that's that's a pretty good ratio. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, at first you think, well, this this is a bomb. Yeah. They set up a sound system and, yep. you know, we went through all this trouble to get into this prison yeah. and yeah. it's too hot. People just, they don't want to go outside and, yeah. you know, then you think, well, this isn't working out, uh-huh. but that's not the way it works in God's economy. Well, and you're also doing it for an audience of one. Right. You know, and I, I, I tell my, my people that I go with and my orchestra and it's like, hey, we love to sell it out. We love to do the big crowds. But right now, maybe even now with just you know, pandemic and everything, whatever, and even just normal times, let's just touch one life. Like, let's, it's worth it. You know, if one life gets saved, one person really gets it, uh, it's it's worth it, you know, and we're doing it for the creator anyway. Like, right. We're just doing it for him. And if he wants to use us, and sometimes uh, I find that the, the shows, are, we're trying to reach others. Some, sometimes they reach me, <laughs> you know, like, like you at that moment. Totally. You know what I mean? Like, God doesn't just want to reach others and use us and kind of build our ego in a way, but he wants to be holistic, I think, in the in the method where we ourselves are maturing and growing and going deeper and are becoming more and more of a vessel that can be used for, for you know, golden purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just can't forget that. We just can't let our pride get in the way. Especially when you go in thinking, I hope God will use me to bless people today, when in fact... He's using people to bless you. 
Yeah. Vice versa. It works both ways. Yeah. Yeah. The opening story in my book is me in a prison with a bunch of Maori convicts that don't want to see my puppet show. And I just thought, like, what, what, what can a skinny white kid from America bring from, to uh, this Maori prison camp? And then God just spoke to me, and he's like, nope, they're not here to see you. Oh, I love they're, it. They're here to, to hear from me, and I'll use you. <laughs> and it just took the pressure off, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. Just be free, you know, let God use you. Yeah, and that goes back to kill your art, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. My guest is Philip Shorey, and his book is Travelogues of a Family Sideshow. We're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back with lots more. Philip Shorey. His book is Travelogues of a Family Sideshow. Loving our time with Philip and the stories that are in this book are riveting. Uh, Philip, I'd love for you to um, talk about who this book is for. Is it just for families, uh, people with kids? Uh, Who is it for? This is a, some people have called this book um, something similar to say like Keith Green's No Compromise or or some of these other missionary biographies, it, it's what God has been doing in our family for a long time, and it's about a generational calling. So you you might consider this book something to inspire moms and dads who want to start a, a generational calling or just feel like they want God's legacy like through their family. But I think it's also for people who are single or just struggling with their singleness because it shows even as a single adult how you can impact the future and start generational legacies and generational blessings in other people around you. Uh, that it's not just something for parents to pass on to their children, but it's it's for all of us who are followers of Christ to pass on to those who we impact and encounter every day. This is a story that's, you want an adventure story, you want like an Indiana Jones globe trotting <laughs> theater performance artist story with with mixed in with an autobiography biography kind of like if Billy Graham was a puppeteer mm-hmm. this is that story uh just has these these nuggets over the last 100 years where it shows that Jesus is the answer and it's just through this artist on a mission Philip I'm sure that we've got people listening who's Son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter has dreams and aspirations of going to Hollywood and being a singer or an actor or an actress or doing something significant in the world. And because you probably have had parents talk to you about their kids, right? Yeah. And I'm curious about your response when they say to you, well, so-and-so wants to go to Hollywood and be a star. <laughs> well, that was me. I mean, it, it's, it's so competitive. It's so hard. And Whoever's going to compromise the most is the one that's probably going to have the best chance. And I just don't want to play that game. I think God's dream for me is way better than my dream for me. 
I think what God can do in my life is way better than what I can do in my life. And so I just want to show people there's another, there's another path. There's another different example for success uh, and another path towards being great. And it's called surrender. It's called uh, humble yourself. It's called die to yourself. Uh, it's called you know follow Christ and let go of your own uh, ideas, your own dreams and embrace the fact that the creator of the universe has a dream for you that is way beyond your imagination and be open to that. And I hope this book can show people just what one family, one generational calling, one life, one artist, what can happen there. God is such a big, diverse God. I mean, how many examples are there, really, of people who have uh, surrendered their their craft to the Creator and seen the unimaginable? I'm just lucky to to show this one story. I often quote a line from C.S. Lewis who said, what isn't eternal is eternally out of date. And when you think of spending your time, your energy, and your effort in returning to God the gifts that he's given you, it is the absolute perfect design for your life to Mm -hmm. bring the name of Jesus everywhere you go. And in uh, Philip's books, Travelogues of a Family Sideshow, packed with fascinating stories, uh, they will all hold you uh, riveted. And your your wife has also written s- some contributions in the book as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mother she, of three. Mother of three, yeah. Uh, she talks about her red-eyed flight over Moscow. What is that about? Can you tease us out with that? Yeah. Or should I invite her in and let her uh, talk? <laughs> well, I, I thought she should have the angle on that um, because she's the one. We brought three kids to Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan, and we did a, a run of shows in in Kyrgyzstan, uh, and some of the biggest challenges was doing that as a family with kids that are three, four, two, and just w- what you have to do and prepare as a mom uh, to go into these different cultural environments uh, where your kids need you, and you're out, you know, doing shows and orphanages and elderly ha- homes, uh, and then coming back and your kids need their love banks filled. Uh, and just, just that, that journey. I mean, we, you see it from my perspective enough and quite a bit, but some of the spotlight stories, they come from, uh, my grandma, you know, in her perspective, uh, my mom, and she was the ventriloquist and she had the heart for kids and then, and my wife. So it's not just, you know, the husband leading or the husband or the, the man doing it. I mean, it's holistic. I mean, it's the family is called the, the it, we all have our, our, our jobs and we all do our very best to, to, to do it, to make it right and to bring it to life. And hopefully our kids can grow up and see what's happening here. Um, I'll actually, uh, if I could just say, we just performed in France and one of the most incredible encounters I saw was I got to speak with a, a gentleman who saw our show, um, he was from Afghanistan. And my heart was breaking for that crisis before I went to France. And the, this this guy, his family is still in Afghanistan, and he we just were talking, and someone had just led him to the Lord. Like, and he was just now starting to understand Christ and needing something more than what he had. And then 
my relationship with him picked up where we were able to, I was able to disciple him. And he said he may, he just wanted to speak to my children. And, and I recorded him and he said, had a message for my children. He said, thank you. Thank you for what you're, you're doing and what your parents are doing. And I just hope my kids can, can see that and be a part of it and understand the weight. And, and I think a lot of this book is hopefully showing parents not to turn their children into idols, to not revolve their entire world around the safety of their children. Uh, my cousin has a great saying. He says, safety third. Safety third. Everything is about safety first. Mm-hmm. But what about, no, there's other things more important than safety. You know, family is important, more important than safety. Uh, following Jesus is more important than safety. Safety third. And I like that. It's really stuck with me. Um, and I think this, this book shows that when you put safety in its proper place, even with the family, you fi- the family is blessed. You know, but when you make the family and children the idol, the safety first, mm-hmm. the family is not blessed. And maybe that's a wake-up call for our families in the church to not put safety first because we want to. It's like our default as parents. But when we do that, I think we get in the way of what God wants to do with our children and in their lives and what what He we need to let go of that control. Mm-hmm. So, Philip, I got to back up a little bit. Was your mom the ventriloquist in the family? Yeah, so me did, and my mom were the ventriloquists. Oh, wow. Did your mom ever tell you to uh, eat with your mouth closed while her mouth was closed? <laughs> I mean, that would be kind of weird. I don't recall. I was just told that to exact. not eat with my mouth open, and all of a sudden, I my mom was telling me that. I don't know. That would be amusing. <laughs> Maybe not in those words, but yeah, she she was she's really funny, and she has that. That gift. I mean, she would throw her voice a lot, okay. you know, or it makes it sound like the voice is coming from the other side of the room. Yeah. That's that's another talent that yeah, ventriloquist That's have. very cool. Yeah. That's very cool. On the back of your book, uh, Travelogues of a Family Sideshow, you've got Job 8.8. Please inquire of past generations and consider the things searched out by their fathers. Interesting verse. It's very counterculture right now, right? I mean, you think right now people are trying to... Uh, like just like the past is wrong, you know, like we've evolved like the few, you know, it's like we're better now than we were. Yeah. You know, I think this book is, it's not saying the past is better, but it's showing what, what is amazing about what God has done. It's like, remember the past, learn from it, grow from it, um, learn, pass on the wisdom from past generations, uh, to, for the future, you know, for what God wants to do in the future. Uh, so I think it's I think it's quite counterculture in that way where uh, a lot of people are are saying nope this generation we're the answer for the screw ups in the know. past you know sure I, I get that I understand where they're coming from but I think there's a lot to be learned from our fathers and our fathers fathers and the struggles that they faced and the, the challenges and where God brought them and I mean come on like know your roots like know where you came from. Uh, understand where you came from so you, you have a better idea of not to make those same mistakes. Uh, so just to, ha- to have this this book that covers 100 years of evangelistic uh, history uh, in the arts, it's, it's a bit of an evangelistic art anthropology, it is. A, a study. I mean, how many books out there 
are there out there like this? Well, I, I guess I needed to write it because I, I don't consider myself an, a real author. I just – if I see a book that's not been written and I can write it, yeah. I, I need to write it. It's, yeah, I, I get that. I don't consider myself a real radio host. So I mean, this is perfect, Philip. Yeah. We've got this thing in common, right? <laughs> I mean if there's no Bill Arnold, then I guess you got to step up and exactly. be the Bill Arnold that exactly. the world needs. Yeah, yeah. yeah so well said. Um, <laughs> so the best way to get a hold of this book is, is how, Philip? Amazon. Amazon. Just go to Amazon.com. Yep. Yeah, just just search Travelogs of a Family Sideshow on Amazon, yep. and you can get it there. And also, Philip's book is also up there called Kill Your Art, which is a book that I have read and enjoyed. Mm-hmm. So that's up there as well. They can check that out. Yep. Uh, Philip Shorey has been my guest. Again, the book is called Travelogues of a Family Sideshow. It's going to chronicle 100 years of uh, families doing evangelism, using the arts to do it. It's a fascinating uh, ride. It's got tons of interesting pictures. And it's just an enjoyable read. So, Philip, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Bill. You bet. It's been great. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.